and welcome back. My name is Claire and you are listening to the Hypnobirthing Podcast. Today's episode is really exciting. I sat down with my really good friend and also previous client of mine, Marie, and we talked all about her two birth stories, but in particular her VBAC story. So she has two daughters and her first birth resulted in an unplanned cesarean. And so for her second birth, she really, really wanted to attempt a vaginal delivery. And VBAC stands for vaginal birth after cesarean. And she was really, really adamant that that's what she wanted. So I really think her story will help a lot of people. Um, people who are perhaps considering a VBAC, people who don't know a lot about them, and maybe people who just want a bit of positivity around VBACs and around the outcome that can be achieved. So I'm going to play the episode now and I really hope you enjoy it. So hello and welcome to Marie. Hello, thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure to be your first guest. Yes, thank you for coming on and being my first guest. It's lovely to have a guest because it just adds a different dynamic, I think, to the podcast. Definitely. So... As a bit of background, Marie is a really good friend of mine and we have known each other since we were in year seven at school, so a really long time, about, what did we work out, 20, was it 21 years? 21 years, yeah, might be 23 years, (laughs) no, about 21 years. Yeah, 21, 22 years, we've known each other. Must be 22 years in September. (gasps) So we've been friends, really good friends for all of that time, so we obviously know each other really, really well. And we live down the road from each other. We both have two daughters who are similar in age. And so we obviously spend quite a lot of time together uh, with our kids playing. And we generally sit there and talk about birth, really. It's a survival technique. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we talk about kids other things too. Together. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so we spend quite a lot of our time just talking about birth and things because we, we just birth. really like it. And we enjoy a birth story and we enjoy chatting about it so um we're bringing that chat to the podcast today because marie's got a really interesting um story and um a lot of really good advice about v-backs so marie you have got two daughters I have. and they are two two and eight months and eight months and you did hypnobirthing with both of them i did hypnobirthing with both of them um so can you tell us just briefly about your first birth my first birth. So my husband and I did hypnobirthing around 20, 20 weeks, I think it was. Yeah. Um, we weren't living here at the time. We were living in London. Um, our course was amazing. It was with a, it was with a huge group of people, um, which was really um, interesting because there were lots of different viewpoints in That's there good. and things I'd never thought of. Um, for me, hypnobirthing was the natural path. I am now a yoga teacher. I wasn't then. Um, so for me. I really wanted to do hypnobirthing. You'd already done hypnobirthing, Mm -hmm. so I knew it was amazing. Um, My husband is a huge, huge fact person. Everything is a fact. He researches absolutely everything, things he doesn't even need to know. (laughs) Um, So hypnobirthing is probably quite good for him because it's very, it is very fact-based and, you know, it's, it's, talks about the physiology of birth and it's something that you can't argue with so absolutely and um he found it really fascinating and interesting i went along to the course expecting my yoga classes <laughs> and, and like hippies in and it wasn't yes, it wasn't no, there for yeah. me i wanted more of that yeah. 
it was incredibly interesting. I learned so much about birth. I learned so much about my, my own body and my baby, yeah. which I needed to know. Um, after doing hypnobirthing, we decided a home birth with our first daughter was the path we wanted to go. Amazing. And we did a lot of practice, a lot of every single night, doing the affirmations, reading the, the script. Even if we didn't want to do it, because you don't want to do it. You're really tired, you're really pregnant. Yeah, you don't always feel like it. Um, and there was one specific script where there's a really gentle word used. And every time he said it, it just grinded my gears. And I was like, that is not calming for me. And we really laughed. We spent a lot of time laughing, which obviously is fantastic. Laughing's really good because it releases oxytocin, which is good. It's the, the love hormone. We want that. Absolutely. And just to say practice is really good and it's really key that you mention practice because it's a really big part of the course and going on a hypnobirthing course isn't just about doing the actual physical course. There's a lot of practice involved um, and it's a really key part and it's something that I stress a lot to people in, in class as well that they really do have to practice. Yeah, and I think my hypnobirthing teacher said something along the lines of you wouldn't be handed a tennis racket and a tennis ball and win Wimbledon. Exactly. Immediately. It's completely right. It takes a lot of time to zone into that and thank goodness we had hypnobirthing because my birth, mm-hmm. both of them went on to be quite interesting. <laughs> um, my first birth, we did end up with an unplanned C-section in right. hospital. We transferred in. That was my choice to transfer in. Yeah. It was quite long, quite drawn out. Yeah. Hypnobirthing really helped me with that because I felt in control yeah. all the time. Everything that happened with my first birth, and how it led up to the unplanned C-section, all of those were my choices. Yeah. So obviously you didn't go into it wanting an unplanned C-section. Absolutely not. A C-section because <laughs> um, I, imag- yeah, I imagine the majority of people who end up with an unplanned C-section don't want one beforehand, but you ended up with that and your hypnobirthing techniques that you'd learned and the practice that you'd done helped you feel happy and not not scared in that situation no I wasn't scared at all because obviously that could be quite unnerving um, and quite scary for a lot of people if that's how their labor ends up but hopefully hypnobirthing helped you to remain calm and feel I knew in control. It was the way we had to go yeah. um, and I knew that I mean with hypnobirthing you learn a lot about interventions and whether they're necessary or whether they're not I knew every single one of my interventions was absolutely necessary for the baby and for me yeah and had I not done hypnobirthing, I wouldn't have known that. I yeah. wouldn't have known. I might have gone with the first pieces of advice. I knew I did everything I could to try and have that baby naturally. Yeah. She just wasn't coming naturally. No. She and wasn't. that's that's okay. And, and, and that was a variety of different reasons for yeah. why she wasn't going to come out naturally. And that was her birth. That's Maybe actually. down the line we can do a podcast about that one. But it's not, it's <laughs> yeah. not about that it's one. not about that one. <laughs> okay. After my unplanned C-section, I, I wasn't scared of birth at all. And when the, the next day when midwives came to see me that had been with me during that time, all of them had said to me, there's no reason why you can't go on to have a, your next baby naturally. Amazing. And I remember thinking, hang on a minute, she's not even 12 hours old. Give me, <laughs> give me a break for yeah. a second. Let me get over this. And any mum who's had a baby will know, will know that they'll be like, I, she's yeah. just here, stop talking about my next You one. do tend to get those comments when you've just had a baby. Oh, when are you having the next one? I know. <laughs> I, I feel like sometimes people just don't know what to say. So uh, quite a few people said to me, there's no reason why you can't have your next baby naturally. So that was always, I suppose, in your head, really, when you you know, in that time between when you had your next baby, I guess it had always Straight away. been planted anyway that you it was a possibility. And actually, I think 
not even that long ago, the idea of having a baby then uh, vaginally after having a cesarean was something that probably wasn't that encouraged and wasn't that known about um, and it was just an immediate kind of elective c-section so the fact that they'd said that to you probably yeah did plant that and you definitely thought about that a lot in the run-up to um, getting pregnant with your your second daughter I think it's a relatively new thing that is they call it a trial of scar as well as a feedback okay because that's essentially what you're doing you're trialing your scar and a lot of the research out there is actually when you when you I say a lot of the research out there I say when you go into Google and I'm the worst (laughs) person to go into Google I do it all the time Uh, my husband actually banned me recently (laughs) (laughs) Uh, quite a lot of the information is from the American American statistics right okay but c-sections are different in America yes to England or from when I had my from when I did my uh, teacher training as well in hypnobirthing, yes, we uh, learned that they're different and that they sew yes. up all of the layers as one. Yeah, you've got seven layers um, of muscle, tissue, skin that they go through. And um, in the UK, they sew up each layer individually, which is just yes. incredible. Which you would think would make that area stronger. Um, Definitely. Because obviously one of the main uh, risks of a VBAC is a scar rupture. And thinking back to my unplanned C-section, I do remember it taking a very long time after the yeah. baby was born. A very long time. Yeah, I think the majority of the time you're in theatre with a cesarean is actually just the sewing up, sewing you back up. The yeah. baby bit, I believe, is pretty quick yeah, as soon as you're in. Okay, so when you got pregnant with your second daughter, your second baby, what did you, you know, obviously you'd already had it put in your head that a vaginal birth might be possible but what did you initially think about your birth options was that your go-to straight away did you consider an elective cesarean where was your head at my we didn't I didn't ever consider an elective you didn't no I had a lot of concerns about my daughter Mm -hmm. um was she gonna be okay she was only just two at the time yeah um and there is some comfort around knowing when you're going to go in yeah knowing when your baby's going to be born and of that's course. also okay yes of course um I had just qualified as a yoga teacher myself so yeah. I was very um in tune with my body I knew what I could do and I just never visualized my second daughter being born via c-section I, I, I didn't no. I always knew she was going to come naturally and I had a really naive view of we're going to go into hospital, I'm going to be induced 37 weeks when the baby is cooked and I'm going to get her out. She's going to be small enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, my first baby was actually born at 42 weeks. Right, so yeah, you were she technically, was technically quite, far um, quite far and her head was quite fused. Yes. So um, in your mind at that time you thought if you went in and got induced at 37 weeks, your labour would be different and, and easier easy. and quick because she was smaller. Yeah. <laughs> but obviously we know it doesn't work that way <laughs> no, size doesn't matter no no doesn't matter <laughs> and your body is never going to make a baby too big for you no no exactly and yeah size actually doesn't matter when when you're having a baby because they can be smaller and you you know it doesn't make any difference to your you know people deliver bigger babies at home with no pain relief and you know it doesn't make any difference to how you deliver the baby so you scrapped that idea <laughs> So that idea got quickly scrapped when I realised, first of all, a chemical induction with a VBAC you can't have. Right, okay. Um, because you're not con- your body's not doing it naturally. Right. Um, you're not controlling how contractions are happening or the gel. So that would be with the pessary or the gel yes. um, that they put in because they can't then 
control how fast you dilate yeah. so it could um, put pressure on your scar yeah is the reason for that and the whole thing around a VBAC is you want everything to try and happen as naturally as possible so we did so much research I had so many chats with so many midwives with with you yeah. with I did t- so much research and also um, the NICE guidelines have which, so which much is the National Institute, Institute of Clinical Excellence and my midwife was incredibly supportive. Um, she was she was a community midwife and she does a lot of home births. She actually delivered your first daughter. She did. By she total coincidence. Yes, yeah, she did. Yeah. Really weirdly. She delivered your first daughter. <laughs> and um, Which we quickly discovered. We did. Because we talk everything about yes. that. <laughs> she was incredibly supportive. So I went into my appointment with my consultant. My midwife chose my consultant. I was armed with information. Yeah. You were ready for a battle. I was ready for a battle. My case was quite interesting. She had my, I had my notes prepared. I'd got them from my previous hospital. I'd highlighted the areas where, in which it says I can have a trial of scar, which is written on your previous notes. I'd gone through everything. I'd had long chats with your mother-in-law, who's a retired midwife, around why I couldn't, why it wasn't possible for me to deliver my previous daughter naturally. And... Was it the shape of my pelvis? I basically wanted to eliminate every possibility yeah. of not having her naturally. Yeah. And the consultant completely disarmed me <laughs> because she said, absolutely, it would be a shame not to try. How amazing. And what she did say when I was asking her about the shape of my pelvis or was it my ischial spines yeah. was, I've never seen a case like that before right. where, where someone's spines are too big for a baby to get right. out. Your spines are your little bit in your pelvis that pokes out. Yeah. She said, it's a different baby. Yeah. Why would you Just treat... It's a different right. baby, it's a different person. Why would yeah. you... You wouldn't treat them the same. Yeah. In this case, obviously, there are certain things where things do go the same in pregnancy. Yeah. Which was fantastic. And we agreed there is a form of induction you have with a... You can have with a feedback. And they the hospitals do tend to like to not let your scar get too tested. Right. So they they want to try and manage it. They want to try and manage it before it gets to a dangerous point. Because if you have a scar rupture, it can be very dangerous for both. But the the risk of that happening is actually quite low. Very low. It's um, 0.2%. Yes, it's actually a low risk. It is a low risk, and it, but you also have to decide where your risks sit. Exactly, how, how much is a low risk to you? It's very personal, and everyone's idea of risk and what they're willing to accept is completely different. So, although for you that's nothing, that's fine. You were perfectly happy with yeah. taking on that risk. For somebody else, that might be too much risk, and they they don't want that, which is absolutely yeah, and they're not comfortable with and it. fine. Yeah, and then you're not likely to be able to deliver naturally because you're not comfortable. No, exactly, you'll be tense and. So we agreed to have a mechanical induction if the baby hadn't come by her due date. And I think I have the gestation of an elephant, so <laughs> which is about 10 months. So she didn't come by her, on her due date, which was actually two days before my birthday. Um, and we agreed that, so she was 40 plus 6. Okay. I was going to go in for this mechanical induction, mm-hmm. which is, they're called um, rods. Right, yeah. They... Dilapam, they insert rods into your cervix. And they look like little They tampons. look like tiny, tiny, yeah. tiny tampons. And they yes. expand to this gelatinous... <laughs> I sent you a picture yes, when they you came did. out. I still have it somewhere, saved. <laughs> Favourites. Why would you ever get rid of that? <laughs> I'll post it one day. <laughs> you can, why not? So it's mechanical induction. So they basically examine you, see how... Um, 
dilated you already are. I was already three centimetres. Okay. So they could have actually broken my waters there and then. However, the doctor who examined me said he felt some cord around okay. as he examined me. Right. Um, so the idea with the Dilapan is that they put that in um, to expand your cervix enough so that they can then break your waters. Exactly. Because um, the idea is that when your waters have gone, the baby hasn't got the cushioning around them. So they put more pressure on your cervix, which encourages it to dilate so that's the reason why they want to break waters is to try and obviously encourage um, you to dilate so that's just the background of why they yeah why they do that and they go in for 12 to 24 hours they were uncomfortable being inserted but once they were in it wasn't a it was fine it was okay it wasn't and often sometimes when people have them it sends them into labor naturally right um it didn't happen for me no and i stayed in hospital that night um, my husband went home and he then came and they said to him they'll call him if anything happens um, he came back first thing the next morning I was just going to ask how at this point how was hypnobirthing helping you through this part of your labour so I was very prepared to go into hospital for this mm-hmm. I was very calm and just before we were about to go into hospital my husband decided to change a valve on a radiator <laughs> of course he, he's not even a plumber Mine um, was painting a porch when my waters yeah, broke. It's, it's like they, they just yeah. choose to do. This. I think they nest more than they we do. N- they nest, and there's all of a sudden something he had to change. Yeah. Bless him. Something he had to change. Very urgent to do. It was incredibly urgent. And I was like, Look, we're actually going to be late for our appointment. <laughs> so I'd already zoned into my hypnobirthing. I knew I was there. I had my lavender. I had my... Twi- oh, the hospital, the ward actually had twinkly lights nice. there. Funnily enough, they were putting them up as I was there, not Amazing. just for me. They were putting them up as uh, as we arrived, and it was just really nice. And I had a... Yeah, lovely. I was in a ward, and I had a lovely corner bed. I did channel Rachel from Friends a little bit, where women just were coming in and going out, and coming <laughs> in and going out, and having babies, and coming in and going out, and I was just still there with my rods, <laughs> listening to my hypnobirthing yep. on my phone. So you were listening to, like, your relaxing music and scripts and things like that? All night long. Um, I'd agreed to a lot of monitoring. Yeah. Um, so, but although they only came and monitored me once that night. Okay. And then nice. my husband came back and they examined me and my baby's head had disengaged. Oh, yeah. Which was wonderful. Yeah. That was kind of her. Um, but yeah. she, she needed to disengage for some reason. Maybe it was due because the cord was low. And or second something. babies often go in and out. Yeah. I believe. Until of, they're ready to. Yeah, like first babies tend to like lock in. Yeah, lock in <laughs> and they stay there. So because, oh, the doctor who examined me, I mean, they were so incredible. They even made me feel that she disengaged. Wow. He wanted to give me more time, more time for her to go back in. So we did lots of walks. Yeah, yep, that would help. Um, I know the stairwell of the hospital very well. <laughs> How many steps there are. <laughs> yeah, going up and down and sideways. And we laughed a lot. Yeah, which is really important. Because yeah. Again, as we said earlier, because of the oxytocin, like that would have been helping all of that and oxytocin I, and laughter. I was really worried about my daughter, my daughter at home, but she was at a Halloween baby class with me, with you and my mum <laughs> and your girls, and I knew she was having the best time yeah. with Nanny. She was, and so I think I, that's really natural. Second time or third time, or you know, mm, you worry about your children, worry about them, but actually, you know, they're. They're having an they're adventure. They're fine. They're so capable of being without us, unfortunately. But they are. They are. Or, or fortunately. Or fortunately. We laughed a lot. We did a lot of walking around the hospital. And then they were due to... I think they were due to take my rods out at about 2pm. And they went in at 8pm the night before. 
but quite a few C-sections emergencies had come in. Okay, interesting. Unplanned, sorry. Unplanned, yes. Unplanned sections had come yeah. in. So I had to wait, which was fine. It gave me more time. So at four o'clock, I then transferred into a room of my own. Right. And further down the line, I found out it was the room my niece was born in oh. eight weeks prior. Oh, how nice. I know, really sweet. So we were in a room. It was a really lovely room. There were twinkly lights. I had my music on. I had lovely. my lavender on tissues. I had my own pillow. Nice. Very, yeah, um, that's Which important. was really important. Yeah. And they took out my rods. Yes, and broke my waters. Right. Throughout my entire time at hospital for that previous 24 or so hours, every time we had um, spoken to somebody there, we were trying to encourage me to have a hormone drip. Right. Um, to speed it up a bit. To speed it up. Okay. So once the waters got, my waters got broken, they wanted to give me a hormone right. drip. Now, this was something my husband and I had agreed we weren't ever going to do. Right, okay. I won't give any statistics because I can't exactly remember them. But, but your that risk, must increase the risk of rupture. Increase the risk, yeah. risk of rupture a lot. And like you said earlier, you know, a VBAC should be as natural as possible because then that keeps your risk of rupture low. Exactly. Obviously, if you're using different sorts of interventions, um, it will increase that and increase mm. your chance of another intervention. And I know you did use... Uh, you had the rods so that is a form of intervention but um, yeah you kind of wanted to limit it to actually what you you needed really so they gave they took the rods out and they gave me eight hours for my contractions to start and basically I knew my body could do it I had no doubt in my mind my contractions were going to come yeah and this is what we'd agreed with my consultant my consultant wasn't there but everyone we saw was like but you're not having a hormone drip And my husband and I had a side note together for five minutes, and I said to him, maybe I should be having the hormone drip. They're all seen, and he said, no, Marie, this is where our risks, this is where yeah. we stopped, this is where we said no. This and was they, our safety. You then doubted yourself there because of the pressure I, they were putting on I you. I did, and it was, it was, it did feel like a lot of pressure. Yeah. Um, but we didn't do it. And hopefully hypnobirthing helped you to not do that. Absolutely, it did, yeah. because, and it was very much like, I know my rights, and it, at one point it was like, so, you, oh, but, oh, but you're not having a drip? Yeah. Like, we were making the wrong choice. Yeah. I knew we weren't, which is yeah. fantastic. I had my rods out and we went for a walk to the canteen and actually one of our friends was having her 12-week scan oh, at yes, the hospital. I and I tried to get back to the other side of the scan. They're in the same area, the yeah. scan place, to see her, but she was actually, um, I think she was in her scan at the time, oh. at which point we would have stuck around, but my contraction started. Oh, amazing. Which was really good. good. So we went back to the room because we'd agreed to have monitoring yeah. the whole time contraction started which just means, but by monitoring, I mean just a band around you. Yeah. Because my waters had been broken, I did need some help yeah. along the way, and I was okay with that. I yeah. was open to that. Um, but the baby didn't have enough cushioning to move around. Yeah, so you you opted for an epidural. And I like did. we said, I said, were saying earlier about the um, waters being broken, and obviously it takes away that cushioning that the baby has, and that is probably one of the reasons why you felt like you needed that extra comfort measure from an epidural because a baby you know they might need those waters to turn or they might you know the reason they've not gone naturally on their own is perhaps because yeah they need they needed them to turn so obviously 
her turning without those waters would have been uncomfortable for you. I want to use the word un- uh, comfort and uncomfort rather than pain yeah. because, um, you know, yeah, at one a better point, way of it. it was severely uncomfortable. <laughs> severely and that's okay. It was okay to be severely <laughs> uncomfortable because they helped me. Yes. But I had it in, I, and I knew this, I knew this was a possibility and that was okay. And I yeah. had in my mind that if you've intervened with me, I now need you to intervene yeah. with me a bit more to and make it okay. There's nothing that says you can't do hypnobirthing and have an epidural. Like, there's yeah, not, there's no, no definitely not. despite what a lot of people think that it should be no pain relief ever um you know you can have whatever you want and you've made that choice Mm. using your hypnobirthing and that's what makes it hypnobirthing i had to get i had to have an epidural in order to channel my hypnobirthing yeah in a calm manner so that you could get back on top of your i needed to get back on top of my mind that my trust my i trusted my body i needed to get into a position a place where i knew everything was okay so during this time were you managing to eat and drink um, well, interestingly, fluid intake was really important for me because I right. was really quite sick with my first right. okay. baby and I knew I needed to stay hydrated. Okay. Um, lots of water. Good. Take your straws, ladies. Yes, straws. Straws. Yeah. Lots of water. And when we'd gone for a walk earlier, we had had a sandwich and nice. I bought a Twix pack and I was so excited for my Twix. Oh, nice. And then they made me kneel by mouth. <gasps> so I couldn't have And anything. they made you kneel by mouth. They made me kneel by mouth because just in case just in case I needed um, a section, right? Okay, which was always a possibility. Yeah. Okay, so that was perfectly fine. So you didn't get to eat your twig. Didn't my husband eat my twig? Your husband ate your twig. I allowed allowed him. I I told him to eat (laughs) it and enjoy it. Because one of us needed to. Yes, definitely. But I was super sad. sad. I know. I know. So sad. I hope you've had lots of twixes since. I know. It's not even my chocolate choice. So basically, labour progressed quite nicely. My epidural didn't take away all of my sensations, which I really was happy about. And it doesn't always. It doesn't always. Um, It tends to only really work down one side of my body. It dulls it on my... It happened the first time as well. Right. It dulls it on one side, but the other side, I can still feel quite Which I suppose is quite, like, good in a way, because then you definitely feel... You're feeling some sensation. Oh, definitely. And I knew when things changed or when they ramped up. And we got to... This must have been so. This was from four o'clock till about ten o'clock at night, right. and they weren't things weren't progressing as quickly as uh, they'd have liked. Okay. Um, they were starting to. Sh- I was starting to show signs of like blood in my urine. Okay. Just things that could be a potential risk to my scar. To your scar. Okay. I had quite a, fa- a fast heart rate by this point, and the baby was taking longer to recover from her okay. contractions from the contractions so of my she uterus. She was getting a bit stressed. She out. was getting a bit stressed out. So. They basically said to me that we would really like to take you in for a section. Right. I was devastated. I bet. I was so upset. I was crying so much. And my husband and I said, look, they said, we'll give you five minutes to talk about it. Now, we'd always agreed if either of us was at risk, we are going in for a section. Yeah, you had your, like, cut-off point where you were comfortable. And when they left the room, my husband and I were like, look, this isn't even a, it's not even a question, is it? Yeah. They came back in the room about 30 seconds later it wasn't the five minutes at which point I thought to myself they didn't give us the time that they said right, they were going to give us okay. they obviously really mean business right I and see. that's okay yeah I was really crying I was really oh. upset and the doctor was she was amazing and she said look when I examine you next yeah if I feel like I can do it we'll try some we'll try something else we'll try forceps okay and I was like oh that would be amazing at this point I felt my body ramp up right I oh, felt right. 
So your pressure. body was almost like last chance saloon. It, it was, and the baby <laughs> was like, it. I'm coming. Yeah. Now, we did transition into theatre, yeah. um, which I was prepared for mentally. I knew yeah. that. But it's a very different environment from twinkly lights. Yes, it's of course. bright white lights. Yeah. But I knew all of this. Yeah. Um, You'd been there before. I'd been there before. Mm-hmm. It's a very sterile environment. Yeah. And you do move from one bed to the next bed. And yeah. I did then have a spinal block. And when we got in there, she examined me again, and there was I was fully dilated. Amazing. Um, so your body was, had like my body ba- it, baby know, like, had said I'm yeah. coming. It was in the middle of the night. It was one in the morning. She had to call the consultant in charge to say the charge of the department to say we're going to do a trial of forceps mm-hmm. because of my history. He was a bit unsure, and she said, like, I can do it. That threw me off. Right. Then I had to say to myself and my husband, he was like, look, if they're saying they can do it, they can do it. What I didn't want was an episiotomy. I didn't want to be yeah, cut. of course. And end up of with course, a C-section. Yeah. So one um, of the things I actually didn't realise until Marie had told me this birth story was that they put the forceps in, and then they do the episiotomy. I always thought... They do the They yeah. do the episiotomy first. And I've actually had forceps and an episiotomy, and I... Didn't even realise that, so I learned something as well. <laughs> yeah, so I had forceps. She said, I definitely won't cut you unless I think I can do it. Amazing. Forceps okay. are an amazing tool. They're like salad tongs. They are. And they hook together, and they really, really help you when you need it. Yeah, and that's what they're there for, to help when you need it. Within moments, she was laying on my chest. Amazing. Um, and you'd done it. I'd done it. Um, there is a strange thing with a spinal block where they're telling you to push. Right, yeah. And you can't feel yourself pushing. Right. And I think the body does it for you. Yes, so yes. So there's a thing called the fetal ejection reflex. Yeah. Um, where you're, which you learn in hypnobirthing. But um, yeah, basically where your body just pushes on its own and you can't control it. And it's the same with any kind of ejection reflex that your body has, such as being sick. Um, you know, it's one of those things that you know it's going to happen and you can't do anything about it. It's just going to come up. So um, that's obviously what happened to you. Yeah. Thank goodness. Which is amazing. Um, and she was born and she was amazing. Aww. She looked just like my first daughter Aww. and we were so in love immediately with her. Aww. And it's such a lovely, positive vibe, even when you're in theatre. Amazing. Everyone's so happy. Yeah. They're practically dancing around the room. And it didn't feel like an emergency type of situation. No, not at all. That you, were, you felt scared or... No, it didn't feel scared in the slightest. Felt very... I felt like we were making the right decisions based on the knowledge, on the information we had, based on the facts. I think when you plan something like a VBAC as well, you obviously you know where it might end up. Mm. So in your mind, you were very aware that it could have ended up with another caesarean. Yeah. So everything that happened was not of a shock or scary or anything because you were prepared for that. And One amazing piece of advice I was given was that it's my baby's birth, it's not my birth. And that's, yeah, completely true. It's her birth, it's her entrance into the world. And actually, for both of my children, it's really representative of who they are. So yeah, that is completely true, I think, that it is your baby's birth. And actually, each birth is so different. So that just shows that it is their entrance into the world and not it's not always going to be the same. With your children, they have different needs. Yeah. And it's the same with their births. Yeah. And it's very hard to distinguish between your two births. Mm. and say okay I've had this birth I'm going to separate from it because it's the only thing you know about birth yeah the only thing you know is what you've experienced yeah of course I wasn't going to have that second that experience again equally in your mind you probably thought though but I've done that before I know I can do it again if I have to yeah I know I definitely thought that uh second time about 
and my first birth was that you know because it was a fairly long labor and I know I thought well you know what I've done it before I can do it again if I have to and you know it turns out that I had quite a short labor so is there anything you would change about your second birth about your v-back if you could go back and change anything what would it be I'd eat my twix sooner <laughs> that's a great answer I'd eat the Twix soon. That's a good answer. Um, <laughs> That's the only thing you change? I think so. I, yeah. We, you know, at the end of the day, my husband and I felt comfortable with monitoring. We needed that for us. Yeah. We wanted to know that comfort. We to, In order for him to feel relaxed and me to feel relaxed and to actually give birth, yeah. we, needed, yeah. we needed that around us and we both agreed on that. Yeah. Had we been at home... I could have insisted on that. Yeah, you could have been. I if you'd felt comfortable with that. Wasn't comfortable, so but I know were. we would have ended up in hospital yeah. anyway. And that's absolutely fine because, yeah. and, and just to say, some people do have VBACs at home, um, so it's possible. But it's just where your comfort sits, and perhaps if you go on to have another baby, you might decide Who you want knows? to be at home. <laughs> I'm angling to come along and be a birth partner. <laughs> she Not will, yet. She will bit. have another one and I will hopefully be. <laughs> I'm a bit tired at the moment. <laughs> yeah, maybe give it a couple of years. <laughs> so what advice would you give to somebody that wants or is considering or is interested in a VBAC? Trust your instincts and do as much research as you possibly can. Knowing your statistics, knowing yeah. where, you're, where you're comfortable getting the you know knowledge is power it definitely is power when it comes to birth like the more knowledge you have about something the the more control you have over those decisions that you're making definitely when my uh when we were having my v-back with the doctor that delivered her she asked if i was a medic oh yeah um because i had so much knew knowledge so i much. knew so much see this is the level of knowledge i know i know we laughed a lot i was like i'm not a medic <laughs> i've just done a lot that's of amazing. research on this yeah i felt hugely complimented yeah i bet i bet yeah yeah that's a good good advice really is to do a lot of research and to obviously sit down with your birth partner and um your your caregivers as well and discuss what it is you want and what you feel comfortable with because like you said you you know you had your limit of where you sat comfortably and that's you know that's where what everyone needs to figure out where their limit is and the medical professionals know what they're talking about they are so experienced and it's about finding the balance between what I know I want, my instincts, not being arrogant with it, with my knowledge, not being, not acting like I know more than them, because I don't. No, but there's something that we teach in hypnobirthing in that there are three experts in the room, and it's the doctor, um, your birth partner, and you. Yeah. You are all experts, because yes, they are. They are definitely experts in what they do, but you are too, because it's your body and your baby, and nobody knows your body and your baby more than you. So you go into these meetings with doctors and consultants and midwives, and you're on an even par, because you are experts too. So it's not just about what they say. It's where your instinct is and how you feel too, which I think is something that you really proved, because that's definitely what you did, and you didn't just go and have a hormone drip because they were acting like it was the craziest thing ever that you were having a hormone <laughs> drip. It was mad. And that's important because you knew that wasn't right for you. And that's one of the really important things that I think hypnobirthing teaches is that actually yeah, you are an expert. Your opinion, your voice matters more than anyone's really because it's your birth and your experience. So obviously I know you gave me a huge amount of support 
Yes. Um, with my VBAC, and we talked for hours and hours and hours about we did the possibilities. <laughs> we did. Um, what would you say to, as a teacher to somebody who wants to have a VBAC? So, probably, I mean, based off what you just said as well with research, is I would definitely say do a lot of research um, because that's really important in getting knowledge and knowing knowing where you stand and also you know knowing your rights and actually when it comes to birth you you don't have to accept any treatment that's offered you can decline anything you want you can have a home birth and have a VBAC even if your consultant's saying no you are within your rights to do what you want so I think it's really important to know your rights so that you feel comfortable and you know your cutoff point as you did also I, I i mean i you know i know i am a hypnobirthing teacher and i would say this but you know do a hypnobirthing course if you've not done one because i really think it doesn't only give you the the physiology of birth and the kind of scientific uh, fact bit about birth but it you know it really does arm you with knowledge and the power to say and to ask questions rather than just accepting what someone's telling you and I think that's a really big part of it is the empowerment that it gives you and you definitely in your experience used that uh, to your advantage to get a birth that you wanted and so I think that's a really big part of hypnobirthing as well and obviously then it also teaches you the relaxations to stay calm and in control and things like that so it would always be a benefit to somebody who wanted to go and have a VBAC to go and do a course you know even if it's just to read a book I would recommend that. Yeah, and I don't know if we would have gone down the route of a V-back. I mean, sections sometimes are a bit glamorised by celebrities. Yeah, definitely. Who like to have a thumb roof baby. And unfortunately, a lot of people think a a C-section is an easy option, which I'm sure you... Having had both both. (laughs) I can definitely tell you the recovery from my V-back was so much easier. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, and I think that people saying that really downplays it when it actually it's it is major surgery so it's, it, it's major surgery it isn't the easy option and it shouldn't be downplayed because people that have elective cesareans are going through a lot too the uh, success rate of a v-back is somewhere but i think it starts around 76 to 80 yeah, percent which is high which is really high yeah, that's yeah. incredible very high and i'm so pleased we're one of those and that's why things like this like podcast is really important because it also gives another perspective to you know a birth story it's a different type of birth Um, and also on my blog there is actually Marie's birth stories she wrote them for me so they are actually written on the blog on my website which I'll put a link to um, if you wanted to read about them a bit more because we didn't go into too much detail especially with your first one Um, but they are on there if you want to read so I think even yeah just reading feedback stories and listening to people talk about them is really beneficial well so thank you so much for coming on I think it's been really helpful I think we've covered almost everything most things about VBACs that we know um, in our experience of them Um, and hopefully it'll be helpful for people who might be considering one or just interested in knowing more about them Um, so really big thank you to Marie for coming on thank you so much for having me on it's been really good fun (laughs) Um, so I will be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode and thank you so much for listening and I will speak to you soon bye